Hi, I'm Cliff Saron and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. My special guest today is Amanda Brock, who is CEO of Open UK. So to kick things off, Amanda, would you mind giving me just a little bit of background about yourself and and can you tell our audience what Open UK is? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me along today, Cliff. Um, I am a lawyer by trade, gave that up about five years ago. My legal practice was largely in-house and it included working for the open source company Canonical, where I was general counsel. I I set up and ran the legal team for five years Hmm. and during that time developed a deep love for open source. So it was probably quite natural for me to step into the, the CEO role of Open UK. Open UK is an industry organization for the business of open technology in the UK. Yes. And our our purpose is UK leadership and global collaboration in open technology. Mm, okay. Um, so you recently brought out a new report. And I was just looking at the cover of this report and it's got this little, pretty little uh, field mouse on there, very cute. Uh, and, and the report's called The State of Open Source in the UK. So... Um, What's the story behind the mouse? The mouse, ah, the wee timorous Kurumbisti. Um, the mouse actually is recorded using open source software and it's part of BBC Springwatch. So in our reports, we have a number of case studies. We actually have a couple from the BBC and BBC Springwatch gave us a case study about their usage of open source and how that helps them to record uh, wildlife and triggers uh, responses when wildlife are moving around, including mm. this particular wee mouse. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the report looks at open source maturity. Um, what do you think is the most interesting thing that comes out of that? I mean, what is the thing that struck you as well? I didn't believe that would be the case. I mean, is there something there that was surprised you? Yeah, um, I think that the thing that came out of the report that surprised me most, um, rather than a specific thing about maturity, was the scale of investment in the UK. And we've done some pretty groundbreaking work on the economic analysis, moving away from lines of code in, number of developers, thinking about value generated. Mm. And one of the ways of doing that is investment. You'll see we looked at Irish spent, that kind of stuff. And the total investment by UK companies sits somewhere between 4.87 and 5.65 billion per annum. Now, that's a big number, but it's 29 to 34 times the money being spent on digital infrastructure through the levelling up fund. And that, I think, is incredible. That's amazing. Um, It's a huge amount. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, I mean, Computer Weekly has spoken to you on a number of occasions about um, the open source business models. Uh, I mean, given how much you've, you, the value you've just mentioned, uh, how are you seeing these things evolve? I mean, that's open source business models. And yeah. uh, what, what do you see as the challenges moving forward for the open source business? Yeah, I think it's interesting. We've spent many years focusing on selling open source in And I don't think we have to do that anymore. I think it's a given that open source is being used everywhere. And I think now the models are shifting slightly to focus on how we bring the value to the end user, whether that's enterprise or the public sector. Mm. And the value that's brought is really through curation. 
And that curation is a, a rapidly evolving sort of generic word for the, the, the skills and the services. So if we look at the challenges, what we see is that businesses and the public sector are looking at how do they do open source well. They need to make sure that it's well curated, that it has um, the right uh governance, that it has the right technical expertise involved, that it has the right licenses. They're looking at this practice of open source and doing it well. And that sort of comes under the generic heading curation. And that's the biggest thing that I think we get out of the challenges. The other piece is cost and understanding um, that there is a cost to open source, even if there is no licensing. So there's a cost saving is number one benefit. But number one and two are about cost of maintenance, cost of participation in communities. And I think four is cost of implementation. Mm. So, you know, understanding that there are those costs and part of those costs is what you are paying to an open source based business for skills, whether it's maintenance, making it secure, understanding your governance. You know, and that, I think, is the bit that we're really seeing the shift in business models, really focusing more and more and delivering that. Yeah. OK, Amanda. Um, but, you know, I think no discussion. I mean, you did mention, you know, the open source business there and what we are paying for. Uh, but no discussion on open source is really complete without the question about, um, well, I mean, let's go back, back back a step. I mean, intellectual property, who actually owns this stuff? You're, if you're paying for developers' time in the open source community, who I mean, what is this? What is the licensing? Um, I mean, is yeah. there such thing as patents for open source? This, uh, yeah. I mean, who actually own? Who licenses? Who open, Who owns this stuff? Cliff, it's an interesting topic, and I don't think you know this. I've got a book coming out in this in a couple of months. So Oxford University Press are publishing open source law policy and practice with, I think, twenty two authors. I've edited it. And it covers exactly these topics, patents, copyrights, um, not only the license out, sometimes the license in is the same, but contribution agreements. And often we find that the, 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 the inbound stuff is covered with contribution agreements. But from the survey, we focused on a few key areas. Mm. And we, we saw actually quite a lack of understanding around copyright and patents in the, the people we were speaking to. And that was the technical people in the main. Yes. Uh, in the UK, 45% didn't know what the position on copyright was. And and 32% didn't know on patents, which is quite surprising. Mm. Um, I think patents, though, are, you know, 55% said their companies don't hold patents. And that's a big difference between us and the US, where it is much more common for businesses to protect themselves by building up these patent armories. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, I mean, the book that's coming out is going to be something that, you know, I think a lot of people both, you know, both sides, you know, from the sort of end user perspective and those who are developing open source software will most certainly want to have a read. And Well, I hope so. And Cliff, the good thing is that it's open access. So mm. although it's Oxford University Press, people can dip in and out and not have to pay to do that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's what's happening with security and open source? And the only reason I bring this up is that I went down a rabbit hole the other day and started to try to get Windows 11 to use um, the uh, win, uh, the Google Play Store. Uh, yeah, being a bit of a geek, uh, I, I started looking around, then realised that there's a bit of code that is on um, one of the open source repositories, and then was taken down because it had embedded malware in. You know, and it was a bit bit worrying yeah. that 
things like that. Something that seemingly, you know, it's a useful piece of software, something that people actually want. Yeah. Actually has, you know, embedded in it, deep within it, some, some code that will destroy your computer. It's interesting. And whenever anybody asks me about security, I always start by saying that security is a software issue. It's not an open source specific issue. It just manifests in different ways between open source and proprietary software. And with the, the bulk of software today being open source, obviously, we see a lot of issues. If we look at something very topical and recent and we look at Shell4j, the um, vulnerability identified in the run-up to Christmas last year, mm. apparently my uh, security friends tell me that the biggest problems weren't in the open source space where, of course, it was transparent and open and we could see where it was used and people could focus on fixing it. But actually, it was where it had been incorporated into proprietary uh, products and was behind a closed door, behind a wall, and you couldn't tell what was in there. Um, so it is absolutely, I think, the hot topic in open source and software generally in a world of sort of concerns about bad actors. Yes. Um, and it's something we're going to be doing a lot more on. OK. Amanda, I know that at the start of the year, a number of big tech firms went to the White House uh, and were invited in to discuss uh, infrastructure and security, software infrastructure and security. And... There's, I mean, Computer Weekly wrote an intro, you know, we, we end up looking, looking, into, looking into this topic. Uh, and it seems that there's so many interconnected things in open source, you know, the, this word dependencies. Now, if you're a techie, you know what it is. But the, the idea that one piece of software can depend on another piece of software, which can depend on another piece of software, which depends, which your entire application then depends on, means that the tiny component at the very bottom, and if something goes wrong with that thing who takes responsibility. Uh, I mean, what have you seen as regards to uh, supply chain security when we're talking about open source? Yeah, it's really interesting. So this is a critical part of the whole security question. And we saw the Biden administration issue an ordinance in May 2021 Actually, Open UK responded to that, and I think we were the only non-US organization that did. And what we saw in that ordinance was a, a requirement to put Software Bill of Materials, SBOMs, in place by end of July this year. I think that's now been pushed back. But one of the interesting stats we, we've seen from our survey versus my colleague, uh, Kate Stewart at Linux Foundation in the US, who did a, a survey on SBOMs, they were seeing over 70% adoption, while in the UK, we see 21% from our survey. Now, that huge leap just shows you the impact of potential legislation. And of course, the thing that you want, the White House got a spot on, the thing that you want to understand when you're using open source is what you're using. Mm. And, you know, for years, we've put these into contracts, into commercial agreements around open source anyway. We've put in a schedule, a certificate, whatever you wanted to call it, showing what packages were included and sort of making that a mainstay of the transaction of uh, open source really makes a difference, I think, to transparency and ultimately to security. Yeah, I mean, if it's applied to security, I recently covered the um, some news that GitHub, Git, GitHub? GitHub had covered, sorry, yeah. uh, which was around... Um, some form of actions, you know, some automated, 
you know, continuous delivery type stuff that yeah. will automate, you know, the, if the developer finds a problem in their component, you know, everyone effectively is alerted that this thing is uh, yeah. vulnerable and can take immediate actions on that, which I think is a, and, you know, it's quite a good idea, really. Yeah, there's lots of these automated tools that will do different parts of the, the processing around mm. managing open source coming out. And we've seen 30 million initially being invested in the Alpha Omega project by Microsoft and Google mm. um, and others adding to that to start to fund it. We've seen organizations like Spotify, you know, putting funds together to reward individuals who have uh, projects to build more secure open source or to build these tools. It's going to be a big topic of conversation for us for the next 18 months to two years minimum. Yes, I mean, it does raise one of the other interesting questions that I have for you, which is around, you know, the developers themselves. Uh, in the open source world, you know, some people are paid by large companies, some people are, you know, work for small companies, some are individual developers, because anyone that can produce a bit of code that's and put it on an open source repository and if that gets successful, how does that individual, if it's an individual bit of code, you know, from, from one person, how do they get supported? And how does the community know, you know, that, you know, this, this person's going to be around and support this product? And even if it's a company, you know, will they have the appetite to put resources behind something as, as it evolves? Yeah, and that's one of the beauties of open source is that if the code is shared on a, an open source license and it's freely available, it's possible to take that and to, to maintain it, whether you are the original creator or maintainer or not. So a company changing its mind, we saw this last year with uh, Elasticsearch, it doesn't mean that the, the code can't be forked and maintained elsewhere as well. So it does have some benefits there. Um, the question I think you're really wanting to get to, though, is who's going to pay the maintainers? Mm. And that's a huge debate. So what we see is on the one side, I always look at it like crossing a road. On the left-hand side, you've got companies, you've got individuals. They provide code on an open source license. And the one thing that all the licenses have in common is that they say the code is provided to you without liability and at your own risk. So on the other side, you've got people using the code who are using it for infrastructure. And this curation word that I keep mentioning is how you cross that road. And that's where the business models will also feed into how you cross that road. And I think if we look at something like a Red Hat Enterprise product, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, mm. it's almost like a zebra crossing where you do it in a set way, you know, and you do it at the point in the road they say, but you might want to cross at a different point and you might want someone to show you how to do or you might want to develop the skills in-house. And there's, there's that whole piece that needs to be looked at. But if on the left-hand side you've got um, maintainers who are not maintaining code anymore, you know, you people burn out, people get fed up, they don't want to keep doing it, you do have to look at how that's going to be maintained on a broader scale going forwards. And that's part of the work that's now being undertaken by OpenSSF and other organizations. And again, looking at these policy requirements as to how we're going to do this, how we're going to collaborate and make that not a US-specific activity, but an international one that the UK is a big part of, is the conversation we'll be kicking off in our, our um, September meeting. So um, what, what are you sort of working on next? I mean, obviously, the bit, the book, you've got the book that's coming out. And uh, are we going to see any more research from Open UK coming out this year? 
you are. We thought we were going to wrap up in one phase this year, everything we covered last year. But mm. there is, a, you know, you've raised security. There is just so much going on. And we're going to do a further piece. So in the first phase that we're talking about now, we look at how businesses develop, how they mature, how they go from contribution to distribution uh, via um, use. So you start with use, you move to contribution and then distribution. Mm. And you see the, the combination of those three. There are even some that um, use and distribute but don't contribute, which fascinates me. Mm. So you see that maturation and changes in practices and behaviors, better understanding of um, intellectual property as you go forwards. But all of this sits under the doing it well, yes. under this good governance, under this using the best technical skills, engaging with communities, taking contributions, that kind of stuff. And um, we decided that we are going to focus on a second phase in September, which will really look at infrastructure, curation and security. And it will springboard from the work we did in phase one. We'll also be doing an event to accompany that uh, report on the 19th of September. Mm. And we will be doing that uh, in association with the Open Source uh, Software Security Foundation, OpenSSF, from the US. And we'll have Jim Zemlin, the, the LF, the Linux Foundation CEO, and Brian Bendelhoff, who is the executive director of OpenSSF. Oh, wow. They, They'll be joining us. We'll have Atlantic Council, who mm. do policy work with the, the White House and the US. Um, there'll be quite a range of speakers. Francis Maud, who set up GDS, will be amongst mm. them. So uh, I think there'll be quite an interesting discussion there around what is infrastructure, what is good governance, and how does that fall under this this new term that we've started using, curation, and what do we do to curate open source well? Infrastructure is a, uh, an interesting word. <laughs> it's hard to uh, hard to dis, you know define what 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 it is because I think I. If we're talking about software infrastructure, I guess it it changes. To, you know, a few years ago it might have been, you know, virtual machine type things, and these days we're talking about all you know containers or whatever. And exactly. And so it's uh, I'll be very interested in um, hearing more from you about that and in, in due course. You're absolutely right, Cliff. It is a difficult word. And what we see now is not just the infrastructure that you and I would, as technology people, think about as being infrastructure. But of course, with digitalization, everything in our society, including all the public sector services that we receive, the roads and bridges, the hospitals, that's all digitalized. Mm. And that's all part of the infrastructure that we're now focusing on. Okay then. Well, Amanda, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you ever so much for taking part in our in our podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Cliff. And thanks for listening. Goodbye.